Good morning. Our scripture reading today will be from the Psalms. We'll be reading Psalm 77. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What, what God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, today's sermon is about remembering, like the right way to remember, which is pretty fitting for Memorial Day weekend. Um, and this gives me the opportunity, at the least, just to say to you all, everyone who's serving in the United States military, to all the military families, I just want to say I am very, very deeply thankful for all of you. Um, I Just spending time with you all, I see just the challenging dynamics of military life and the toll that it takes, the cost uh, that it is to serve others and to serve your country. So I'm just thankful for each of you. Uh, who are serving in our military. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we will jump into the text. Father in heaven, Lord, we, we just want to say thank you for who you are. God, thank you for your character. Thank you that you're an unchanging God. You're always steady and stable. You are always the one that we can look to and rely on, God. And Father, we look to you now knowing that you are good and that you are faithful, and we ask that you would uh, meet us, God, that you would help our hearts to know uh, the love that you have for us in Jesus Christ. I pray that our attention would be directed towards you, God. I pray that we would stop focusing on ourselves, Lord, and, and would you let our lives be focused on your glory, God. Help me to forget myself. Help me to think about your glory, God. Help me to worship you, God. Uh, I ask that your spirit would be at work here to move in us, to 
draw our hearts near to you, God, to conform us into the image of your Son. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for this time, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, summer is upon us. I, I'm speaking at a graduation next Friday, I believe. I should check and make sure. Uh, but summer's just about here, and we got some exciting plans for the summer. I'm really excited about the, the sermon series that we're going to be going through in the summer. Uh, I've titled it The Life and Heart of King David. And what we're going to be doing is taking a look at all the significant events in the life of David. And with that, also looking at the corresponding psalms that uh, he wrote during those times or when he was reflecting on those significant events in his life. Uh, So I'm really excited about that. I love how King David and his life and his heart point us so clearly uh, to our true King Jesus. But before we get there, I believe that it is very appropriate in the life stage of our church to consider how we should remember God's faithfulness in our lives. You see, remembering in the right way puts the pressure, it puts the weight of the future, puts the weight of future worries and fears, all the future concerns. It puts the weight of all that on the truths that can bear them. Okay, remembering in the right way puts the pressure on the truth, on the truths that can bear them. I think, I tend to think about it like a a heavy lift at the gym. So, and the reason I think about it that way is because Really, uh, deep down inside, I am quite a basic kind of gym bro. Um, Nothing, not nothing, some, one of the things that makes me happiest in life is to just nail a heavy weight, like clean and jerk with crisp technique and get it overhead. Uh, Few things make me happier in life than just nailing a heavy lift. Um, So I know that... Ron before has come up here and said that uh, I would love to get coffee or lunch with you. Uh, But guys, if you also want to get a workout in and hang out, uh, I would love that as well. We can call it discipleship and dumbbells or PRs and pastoral care. Sanctification on steroids. Maybe that's going a little too far. But anyways, when I'm going for like a heavy squat, above 85% of my one rep max, one of the first things that I need to think about is where where I feel the pressure on my feet. If I have a heavy weight on my back, I need to feel about where the pressure is on my feet. It needs to be mid-foot, so through the center of my arch. And I need to feel that sensation as the whole way that I descend. And if I feel the pressure mid-foot throughout the lift, Throughout the descent, I know that I can apply as much force going up into the barbell when I come up. It usually translates into a successful lift when the pressure is in the right area. And in a somewhat similar way, as we look to the future, we need to remember what God has done in the past so that the pressure, the pressures of the future are on the right places. What will give us confidence moving forward is remembering what God has done faithfully for us in the past. 
So Psalm 77 is interesting because it gives us two approaches to remembering. One approach leads to a faint spirit, what we see in verse 3. And the other approach, the other way to remember leads to worship and awe. So again, two ways to remember, two approaches to remember. There's one way that's right, and there's one way that's wrong. And I think the psalmist's reflection here, his experience here is so applicable because both ways of remembering are focused on God, right? He's focused on the character of God throughout the psalm. Yet, there is one approach to the way that he remembers God that leads to despair. Okay, it's not in question whether or not he's focused on God. That, that is a fact. His heart is directed towards God. He's looking to God to provide for his needs. So in both ways that he is remembering, for a lack of a better term, he's remembering like a Christian. He's remembering like a believer. It's not like he's remembering at first like a pagan, and then he realizes how wrong he is, and then he starts to remember like a Christian. No. He's remembering God throughout, yet there is one approach that's wrong. Does that make sense? What this tells us is that even if you are a Christian and confess the right things and have good doctrine, even if you are disciplined and mature in the faith, you can still struggle with understanding God's favor on your life if you take the wrong approach. You can still struggling with look at, you can still struggle with looking at the past if you don't look at it in the right way. And of course, that's what we're going to be unpacking throughout the remainder of the sermon. So the main idea of this psalm is this. Know the character and favor of God by remembering his mighty works. Know the character and favor of God by remembering his mighty works. There's uh, three points that arise from the text. One, the importance of remembering. Two, the wrong way to remember. And three, the right way to remember. So nice and simple points. Let's take a deeper look at point number one. The first thing that signals us to the great importance of remembering is right at the beginning, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says, I cry aloud to God in the day of my trouble. My soul refuses to be comforted. So the psalmist seems to think that what will alleviate his great pain, his great heartache, is to remember, specifically to remember something about God. What we can see here is that reflection on God and what he has done is a way that we can seek him. It is a means that we can use to seek the Lord. Again, verse 2, the psalmist says, In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. How does he do that? Verse 3, when I remember. Remembrance, then, is something that cultivates your relationship with the Lord. It is a way that we can seek him. Of course, we know that we can seek the Lord through prayer, through worship, through reading scripture, through time in community together, and by remembering on who God is, remembering who God is and what he has done. 
So this informs us about the kind of biblical idea of remembrance that we should have. Okay, the, the biblical concept of remembrance is the quiet, focused reflection on who God is and what he has done. Reflection or re remembrance is the quiet, focused reflection on who God is and what he has done. Now, what are some obstacles to that? Why is it hard sometimes to sit down and reflect and remember? Any thoughts on that? What do you guys think? Why is it hard? Yes, sometimes the household is noisy. Okay. So did someone say distractions? Because we're busy, yep, busy, right? We jam-pack our schedules. There's always something to be done. A lot of distractions, right? There's a, you know, just think about how many, like, marketing campaigns exist to grab your attention, right? Everyone's trying to get your attention. So quiet reflection can be hard. Sometimes it's just hard to sit down with our own thoughts. And sometimes, unfortunately, we make busyness a part of church culture, Right, we stress that there's always something that needs to be done, always new people to meet, more evangelism to be done, more missions. There's always something, right? Yet, remembrance, taking the time to remember, is frequently highlighted in Scripture as a means of seeking relationship with the Lord. And here's the thing, we are worse off without this practice. If we neglect remembering, we are worse off because remembrance roots, it cements our identity in God's story. It shows us that we're part of something bigger. All right, that's exactly what we see in the psalmist's heart towards the, the end of the psalm. He sees that his story is part of something that is so much greater than just him as an individual. So as we reflect on what God has done, we are able to see that the Christian life is so much bigger and so much more meaningful than we ever could have imagined. As we remember what God has done, we see that the Christian life has cosmic significance. All right, one, er one area we see that very clearly is in Romans chapter 8. So Romans 8 verses 19 through 21 say, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So there's a lot going on there, but Paul's main point here is that the cosmic Hope of all God's creation is to share in the freedom that God promises to every single Christian, to everyone that believes in him. That sort of freedom that we have in Christ, that is something that is going to be expanded cosmically, universally. And it is a kind of freedom that we can foretaste, we can partake in now through our union with Jesus Christ. 
So that means that whenever someone comes to know the Lord and submit their life to Christ, it is an indication that this hurting world that we see around us, this world that is groaning under the weight of sin and wickedness, will indeed find eternal comfort and rest. Every gospel story, every testimony is a witness to the fact that God will return and will redeem every single part of his creation. He will restore and perfect creation in a way that absolutely shatters the boundaries of our imaginations and experiences. And that means that each of our lives, each story of how God has brought us to himself has cosmic, eternal significance. No matter how boring you may think your testimony is, right? no matter how well you stayed on the path or how well your parents helped you stay on the path, your story has eternal weight and significance because the reality is that the significance of the Christian life is built into the fabric of the universe. It is the goal that God is bringing his universe to, the freedom that we partake of now in Jesus Christ. So reflecting on God's work is an invitation to see that your story is so much richer and more meaningful in light of God's story. The whole universe was created and is now sustained and will be perfected for the glory of God alone. So your life is not ultimately about you. It's just not about you. But that doesn't take away any of its significance. It only adds to it. You know, by nature and by nurture, we are all self-centered, self-serving, and self-righteous individuals. My old pastor would say that kids, once they start talking, they are just like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. <laughs> These seagulls. All right, who remembers what the seagulls say? Mine, 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 mine. yep. That is an illustration of the human heart. Selfish. We are born loving ourselves more than we love the God who provides every breath, every single joy, every good thing that we ever could experience. Even the most basic things that we tend to take for granted. All right, just think about how important and meaningful the sense of touch is. Like it's a universal thing that we all experience. Like think about how wonderful it is to hold your baby. Right, what if you couldn't feel that? Think about how wonderful it is to kiss your children on the forehead, to give your wife like a big bear hug. Those things are just pure goodness and joy. And do you know why they're like that? Just because God made it that way. The reason we can have any enjoyment, feel any meaning at all, is because of the fact that there is a God who rules this universe, who is good and gracious. Remembrance is important because it puts 
our lives in the proper perspective. It sets before you the fact that your life is really about God's glory, and as a result, it is far more meaningful than you ever could have imagined. Yet, like I said before, there is an approach to remembering God that leads to discouragement and a faint spirit. So that's where we get to our second point, the wrong way to remember. In verses three through four, the psalmist says, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Clearly, the psalmist is remembering God, right? He's thinking about God. And according to verse six, if you look at verse six, it says that he's searching diligently. He's not giving up, right? He's focusing on God diligently. So for lack of a better term, he's going about this grieving business, his day of trouble, like a good Christian, right? Every good Christian knows that they should look to their God, that they should look to God in their day of trouble. So what's the problem then? He's remembering, right? He's remembering God. I thought that was a good thing. We should do that. Well, we're given some insight, some more insight into the nature of the problem in verses seven through nine. Here he says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? You see, the way that he's remembering is causing him to question the character of the Lord. Right? He's not questioning the character of the Lord like in general as if he pictures God as this impersonal force or if he's not quite sure who God is. No, the psalmist is questioning exactly what God revealed to Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. He's questioning specifically what God has told him about his character. These verse, verses in Psalm 77, verses 7 through 9, they intentionally echo Exodus 34, when God passed before Moses and revealed his name, if, if you're familiar with that account. So let's read Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7 together. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So let's take a second to think about how this corresponds with what we read in the psalm. And I've, I've highlighted or bolded um, the aspects of God's character that the psalmist is questioning here. So in Exodus 34, right, God reveals that he is full of steadfast love. And in verse 8, the psalmist questions it. He asks if, it, if this steadfast love has forever ceased. 
In Exodus 34, the Lord promises his love for thousands of generations, and the psalmist asks if this promise has come to an end, if it has failed. The Lord says he's gracious, and the psalmist asks if God has forgotten to be gracious. The Lord says that he is slow to anger. And in verse 9, the psalmist asks if God's anger has hidden his compassion. So the, the psalmist is remembering who God is. He's remembering who God said he is specifically. And he's searching diligently. Yet there's something that is making him question God's character. And that something is his circumstances. That is the problem. The problem is that he's letting his current circumstances shape how he views the Lord's character. His day of trouble is making him question who God is. His circumstances have become the lens through which he remembers God and his favor. This is the wrong approach to remembering God. It is a dangerous approach, and man, is it easy for us to slip into. The psalm shows us that you can do a lot of things right. You can be attentive to God. You can be searching diligently. You can know who he is. You can know what he's like. But if you let your circumstances define God's character and favor in your life, then it will lead you to a faint spirit. It will lead you to despair. Are good circumstances evidence that God favors you and that he is faithful to every single promise? Sometimes. But they're never definitive evidence. You know, I'm not a very nostalgic person, but there was one time in my life that I remember rather fondly. It was uh, when I lived in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I met my wife here, and you know, at the time we had very little financial strain, so that translated into a lot of freedom for us as well. Um, this was a period of time in my life where I grew a ton in understanding the gospel, and in Jacksonville, Florida, I had the opportunity to uh, go to a seminary, good seminary at a rather discounted rate, and essentially pursue it just about at like a full-time pace. Yet, we decided to pursue different things and, and go a different route. And I know that it was the right thing then. I know that it is, is the right thing to do now. Yet, sometimes to the frustration of my wife, I'll still bring it up. Uh, when we're both lamenting how much time I have left in seminary, all the study that I have left to do, and how much time it's eating up out of my schedule, I'll say to her, well, we could have stayed in Jacksonville. And it's kind of a joke. It would be a joke if it weren't for the fact that it sort of hurts me deep down inside. Um, it is more than okay to remember the good things and the good times in life. But what I should do and what we should never do is define God's character and his favor by any of our circumstances. 
you might look back on your season in Okinawa and think to yourself, that was a great season. God must have shown his favor on me during that time. Or maybe you'll look back on Okinawa and think to yourself, that was awful. God was punishing me during my time in Okinawa. It's easy for our mind to jump to those conclusions, but that is not how we should interpret God's favor. You know, a couple months down the road, I'm sure a lot of us will be thinking to ourselves, well, I really miss the Ransom family. I miss John. I know that I will feel that way. And it's not just because of, you know, his skill and his wisdom and his leadership. But really, it's because God used the Ransom family to demonstrate and show his tenderness and care in such a clear way to so many different people. There is a great temptation to see God's favor and character through your circumstances and, and interpret the past through that lens and interpret the present through that lens. But that is not how we know God. God is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness for thousands upon thousands. That fact does not change. No matter how awful, no matter how poor the circumstances may seem, the definitive evidence that God is who he says he is is in something else. According to the psalm, we find the definitive evidence that God has the exact character that he says he has by his mighty works of redemption. His mighty works of redemption are the evidence of his character. In the words of the psalmist, his wonders from of old show us exactly the kind of God that he is. So that brings us to our last point, remembering God the right way. According to Psalm 77, how should we remember God in our day of trouble? What is the right posture to have so that the weight and pressure of life is on the right place? According to the psalmist, we remember God by looking at his mighty works of redemption. You've probably noticed, but the last half of the psalm, the whole last half of the psalm is focused on the exodus. The exodus story when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Um, has anyone here seen the movie Prince of Egypt? Yes. This one? Yes? Not, not a ton of us. Okay. Some hands in the back. All right. Yeah. I, I really like this movie. Um, and, of course, I've used sermon illustrations from children's books in the past. So I'm really branching out here and using a children's movie as an illustration. But... I watched this movie for the first time, like around Easter this year, watched it with the family. Uh, my kids really liked it, and honestly, I thought it was really good. It was a really good movie. There were times during the movie where I was holding back tears, uh, 
And that is because this movie does such a good job of helping you place yourself there. Like during that time, during the Exodus. It gives you a glimpse of the real human struggle that was going on. Shows you all the, the kinds of people that God delivered from Egypt. You see that there were just a bunch of, really a, a ton of normal families. There were a lot of elderly um, a lot of children, right? Infants, nursing mothers, right? Really, this was a whole mass of humble, lowly, desperate people. That is who God brought out of Egypt. This is the nation that he chose for himself. You got to think they, they were slaves in Egypt. They didn't have a lot. There wasn't like a single important person among them. Yet these are the people that God chose to deliver from Egypt so that he could make them his treasured possession. And of course, we know that as they were leaving Egypt, God's people were pinned up against the Red Sea, right? The, the Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world, was pursuing them on their west. And to their east, they had this impossible barrier, they had this massive expanse of water that they had really no hope of crossing. It's not like they brought their boats with them. This wasn't like a weekend camping trip at the lake. And remember, there was a host of vulnerable families there. Women, children, infants. This wasn't army versus army. This was the strong preying on the weak. This was an impossible situation. By any standard, impossible, there's no escape. And yet God did the impossible. He split the sea right in half so that his people could walk safely through on dry ground. The psalmist remembers this mighty work of redemption. And do you know what he realizes? that God must be exactly who he says he is. Gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy for thousands upon thousands. As he reflects on the mighty works of God, the psalmist realizes that we belong to a Lord and Savior who makes good on every single word. So maybe you feel like you are in an impossible situation. Maybe you feel like your circumstances are impossible to overcome. Maybe the thought that's running through your head is, how on earth am I going to make it through this? I know that I've felt that way before. Like the psalmist, we can remember God's mighty works of redemption and know that he is exactly who he says he is. That he is a God who shows up for his people even when the circumstances seem impossible to overcome. Of course, we know that there was a, a time when God did something exponentially more impossible. You see, the Old Testament prophets frequently portray the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ, 
in the language of a second exodus. And that is a common way for the Old Testament to foreshadow and image the coming of Jesus in the language of a new exodus. And about 2,000 years ago, on Good Friday, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, was willingly nailed to a cross in order to save his people from their impossible situation. If you think about it, you can really see that we were surrounded by enemies. Sin within us and all around us. At our left, Satan accusing us of the very sin that we know so well. And to our right, an impossible barrier, the sea that is death. We were pinned in a place that we had no hope of escaping. This was an impossible situation with no hope of life in sight. Yet at the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus delivered us from our impossible circumstances at the cost of his own life. He silenced the devil, defeated the power of sin, and cut a path for us straight through death. And he did this by taking our place, by dying in our place. He became our substitute. You see, unlike the psalmist, Jesus was not spared from his day of trouble. No, he took the full force, the full penalty of God's wrath so that we would be spared. So that in our day of trouble, in our moment of trouble, we would be guaranteed the very life, the very eternal life that Jesus deserved. Remember that Jesus only ever obeyed God. Yet that led him into dire circumstances. It led him to the cross. Remember that he cried tears of blood as he pleaded with God to take his cup of suffering away. In the whole history of the world, Jesus was the only person who deserved to have his prayers answered. Yet he was met with silence. And he did not let his excruciating, excruciating circumstances lead him to question God's character. Jesus himself says in the book of John, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it back up again. It was the will of the triune God, the God, the one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit to redeem his people through the life, through the sacrifice of the Son. At a time when we had no hope, no chance of saving ourselves, God showed himself to be exactly who he says he is. So how are we to remember God's character and favor? In light of the cross. 
there is no clearer example of God's character in action than in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that at the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just have to thank you for saving us, for doing something for us that we could never hope to do for ourselves, God. Thank you so much for the mercy that you have shown us, God. Thank you for your steadfast, unchanging character. You are someone that we can always look to, always rely on. Lord, I pray that we that each of us here, we would know that in a clearer and deeper way. Lord, as we remember the cross, I pray that you would solidify in our minds the goodness of who you are, the love, the incorruptible love that you have for each of us. Lord, you are kind and merciful and gracious and powerful And we love you, God, and we're thankful for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.